1: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos.
0: Yeah, right. Crazy.
1: Hello and welcome to episode number 91 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. We are fast approaching episode 100. If you've got any requests for anyone that you think you'd like to have on to celebrate episode 100, just drop me a line, I'll see if I can get in touch with them. Today I'm taking you across the pond to meet artist, writer and activist Halim Flowers. I first became aware of Halim's work earlier on in the summer when Dougie Field shared a few posts about him on Instagram. And lo and behold, a couple of days later, the bomb factory in North London contacted me to see if I'd like to do a podcast with him, because they was bringing him over to the UK to do an exhibition and a series of talks, which, obviously, I jumped at the chance. Now, Halim, as you'll hear in this podcast, is extremely new to the art world. He pretty much only started during lockdown. But as you're hearing this podcast, he had so much pent-up frustration. He was having difficulty expressing it all with just poetry and performance. And since lockdown, he's been expressing himself on canvas. And you can see for yourself that the results really are quite raw and powerful. So here's some information on Halim, just to give you a little taster of what's coming up. Halim Flowers is an artist, writer and activist from Washington, D.C., that used his creativity to bring light onto his very dark situation. On March 21st, 2019, after serving 22 years and two months behind bars, Halim was released back into society. Since his release, he has worked with Kim Kardashian on her documentary, The Justice Project, performed spoken word with Kanye West at his famous Sunday service. and he also Halim has spoke at several universities and conferences around America about the impact of arts and entrepreneurship to correct their criminal justice system. Halim's exhibition and series of talks around the UK, organised by the Bomb Factory in North London, was postponed at last minute due to increased Covid restrictions, but they will be rescheduled for 2021. This podcast with Halim was recorded over Zoom back in early August during the BLM protests, just in case you think you're having flashbacks or, or it started up over there again. Anyway, buckle up, and let me introduce you to Halim Flowers.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've been out, uh, I think today is August, right? Yeah. So it's probably start, like man. about 17 months now. Nice, you got used to it. Yeah, yeah, I just had a, <laughs> just had a, uh, a daughter on July 14th. Oh, so. yeah,
1: nice.
0: Yeah, so I was just dealing with see, that newborn sleepless back? nights, you know. <laughs>
1: sleepless nights. Nice. Um, I know your show's coming up in October now, isn't it? Rather than September. November 5th, we're gonna
0: do it on oh, Bonfire so, oh, Night. Yeah, do you know Bonfire Night? Yeah, I learned, I've been learning about Bonfire Night, so we're gonna, <laughs> we gonna do it that night right there because. Uh, and it's
1: ironic that you're gonna be
0: doing it in a bomb factory as well, right? Exactly, it? exactly. I bet you wondered what was going on when you heard the bomb factory, didn't you? Yeah, I did some research on it first when I. Saw the name, I was like, what did that mean? I thought it was like just some artsy, you know, eccentric thing. Yeah, but then yeah. when I looked it up and saw the history of it, I said, okay, yeah, it makes sense. Because I had just visited an um, a ex nuclear uh, uh, plant in San Francisco right before yeah. the uh, COVID lockdown. So it was like, okay, I just you got to remember that, you know, wars were fought. <laughs> yeah. And so you're personally coming over to the UK? Yeah, that's the plan. Shit, because I'm not allowed in the in the US because of my criminal record. Oh yeah, I've heard that about the UK, but all the guys I know from the US that have done time and finished their you know probation parole, they 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 go to the UK. Yeah, good, yeah. good.
1: So if you just give me a a brief outline, mm-hmm. you served 22 years in prison, right? In was it Washington DC? You got arrested in?
0: Yeah, I'm from DC. Yeah,
1: well, would you be able to give us a A little bit of your background into
0: your arrest. Okay, born in 1980 in Washington, D.C. Contrary to what most people know around the world, D.C. uh, was known as Chocolate City, meaning that it was the first majority uh, metropolitan city in America that had a majority black population or African-American population. So, um, but being born in the 80s, we had the crack cocaine era that hit pretty hard. And when crack cocaine hit, we also had a gun violence problem. And DC had the highest murder rate per capita of any city in America. And it had the highest incarceration rate of any city in the world for like 20 years straight. So, you know, I'm a product of that. You know, being African American, you know, all the systemic biasness that comes with that economically, politically and socially. And being from a marginalized community that was ravaged by crack cocaine and gun violence and in the 90s, we were uh, labeled as super predators. You had a, a professor at Princeton University who labeled uh, black boys, teenage boys, as fatherless, godless, jobless super predators. And oh, First man. Lady Hillary Clinton, who was the First Lady at that time, and Senator Joe Biden, who was the senator at that time, they they bought into that. So what they did, they came up with this policy known as truth and sentencing laws, And they passed an anti-crime bill in 1994, and they forced the states to pass these truth and sentencing laws that made it easier for children to get charged as adults and get life sentences. Right? So for me, I was charged as being an aider and a better to a felony murder. At that time, I didn't know that um, because I, I wasn't there when the guy got killed. I was innocent, but I went to trial. And when you go to trial in America and you get convicted, they punish you. So they, I went to trial and I was acquitted of pre- premeditated murder, but I was convicted of being, it's called in America, it's called the accomplished liability doctrine of felony murder. And yeah. what this means is that you don't have to have an intent to kill, nor do you have to kill anybody. You just have to be with so someone yeah, that time, yeah. who commits in the midst of a felony who kills someone. And the strange thing about my case was the person who was indicted as being the actual shooter had the case dismissed against him and never was taken to trial. So I was convicted of aiding and abetting someone who was never taken to trial. <laughs> That's right? crazy, isn't it? And people always ask me, like, how did that happen? Like, it happened, right? Yeah. Everything happens for a reason. So um, I was arrested in 1997, January, at the age of 16 at D.C. Jail. Um, and the unique thing about washington d c we're not a state, we're just a city, a federal territory and when I was convicted uh, in nineteen ninety eight our state prison was or our local prison was closed in two thousand, so they started to ship us to the federal bureau of prison. so what this means is that you can be from washington d c but you can be in a prison in California. You can be in a yeah. prison in Georgia. So I've been to California, Oklahoma, Georgia, Pennsylvania. I've been all over the country uh, serving these 20 to 22 years that I served. But you know, um, it, when I was first arrested, uh, a great production company, Blowback Productions, they did a documentary about myself and another juvenile life named Andre the, the The title of the film was called Thug Life in DC. I encourage people to go uh, go look that up at Blowback Productions, Thug Life in D.C. It won an Emmy Award, and I'll send you the link for it, too. I have the link to yeah, it. Please. And um And it won an Emmy Award, and it brought a lot of national attention to my case. And just for like, you know, during my incarceration, um, I started and my own- Sorry, sorry, what year was that? What was the documentary? The documentary was aired in '99, I believe. It was filmed in '97. I think it came out '98, '99. And how did that feel for you at the time, being in jail or in prison? I never thought. Like when I first saw him, you know, we was like, "I'm not talking to these white people. They, they might be the, <laughs> you know, they might be the police. You know what I'm saying? Because you gotta think they came as soon as I came to jail, so I wasn't convicted. So I'm like, I'm not talking to these people about my case. I don't know who they are, right? So, But then as I got to know them and understand them, it was great working with them and being a part of that project because I believe that this was the precursor to the juvenile life of reform movement. Like when people saw that image of me as a child talking about doing 30 years or being in prison for the rest of my life, I think it shook the nation, right? Yeah. And now you see all this attention to, you know, and for me being in prison, I never thought that it would be on HBO, or it would win an Emmy Award. I just was sharing my story, yeah. right? But now that I'm home and so many people contact me on social media and let me know how that, them seeing that as a child changed their life. You know, so many people contact me like, you know, I watched that when I was 12 or 13 or 14. Seeing that made me change my life because I didn't yeah. want to go to prison as a child. Right. So and um, I think it was awesome. And then, you know, having the opportunity to come home and, and help uh, be a part of the, the Kim Kardashian, the Justice Project with her and um, her helping um my friend get out and being a part of that. It was cool. Did you Was you a part of that? On after your release, or, yeah, or did after that my start release, while you was in, after my release, after she helped my uh my childhood friend, who was one of the people who was featured in it, Mama Lou Stewart, she helped him to um come home. You no, know, she supported his release. Working with her, um, it was cool. It was cool. She's very down to earth. I met her a couple of times. Um, I met her. We went inside of the jail and spoke. Um, she invited me. To her husband's Sunday service at Howard University homecoming, and you know I got introduced to Kanye, and he allowed me to do a spoken word performance at the Sunday service, and you know Kim very very down to earth. I think a lot of time people just see the industry in with beauty and cosmetic, you know, uh, augment you know the cosmetic thing and the beautification. I think that people just think that she's very uh shallow, right? Yeah. And that's that's prejudice. That's prejudgment. And she's but she's not, you know, she's and I'm not saying it just to say it, you know. I'm honest. Like she's just down to earth. She's very um humble and very, very committed to criminal justice reform. Oh, it's good. it's a passion for and you know, it's a purpose.
1: Yeah.
0: It's not like a fleeting thing like this, nah, she's really committing her whole life. She's on a trajectory to where though she's, she wants her whole life to be dedicated to that and kind of pull away from, you know, the reality or, you know, if she do keep the reality and all, it's just, it would be an augmentation to the movement, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good point for me to introduce you Mm -hmm. at last. I'm speaking to Halim A. Flowers. Mm -hmm. Um, as you've just said, served 22 years. And
0: when was it you started getting into arts while you was in prison? Um, well, rewind back. Uh, my, my childhood friend, Mama Lou Stewart, he, he's a rapper. And he would rap all the time when we were kids. So me just being around him, we just started freestyle rapping. You know, just, you know, I'm going to the yeah. corner, I'm going to get a juice. If you break my pockets, then I'm going to get loose. You know, we just we yeah, would yeah, go yeah. like that. And then... um. Him and I, when we came to jail together, when we were 16, um, we started to write rap songs. And then when I got convicted and went to prison, it was no young guys on the tier. All the guys on the tier was like in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. So nobody was listening to rap. So they was listening to R&B. So I had no audience. So what I did was, um, and when the documentary came out, a lot of girls started writing me. So what I did was this one uh, young lady named uh, Anissa, she was a poet and she started writing me. And to impress her, I started to write poetry, right? I, I lied and told her that I wrote poetry
1: <laughs> to get her to come
0: see me. And, but at that time, I didn't know that poetry was considered one of the fine arts. Yeah, I never knew that. So for years I was writing poetry. And I even was publishing poetry books because I started my own publishing company, and I was locked up. And I published eleven books, and four of them, which were uh, collections of poetry. But it wasn't until Jay Z started rapping about Basquiat and Rembrandt. Yeah. I knew who Picasso was, you know, the name, but I didn't know yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know yeah, about yeah. Cubism and how he was influenced by East African masks, and all. I didn't know any of that, but through Jay Z. Rapping about Basquiat. And I was like, what is that, a clothing line or something? Like, <laughs> So, because you know, Jay Z be name dropping stuff, right? And then yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. in prison and I don't have access to the internet. So, but one thing I did in prison, I had a subscription to the Wall Street Journal. So, an article came through, because I never read the art articles, but then they had an article on Basquiat. And I started it. And from there, I just like started to like go to the encyclopedias and read about Rembrandt and Matisse and you know Picasso and Pollock and Warhol and so it was just through Jay Z. How
1: cool is that?
0: And then once I came home, I just was doing spoken word, right? And then I got a fellowship at the House Animal Arts Lab in Georgetown, D.C. But by me, I get invited to speak at different things throughout the country. And they like for me to incorporate the spoken word into the criminal re- justice reform talk. Yeah. Yeah. But every city that I go to I always would go to the museums. Then I learned about the galleries. I didn't never I just learned about galleries like in January. So yeah, now every yeah. city that I'm going to, instead of just hitting the museums, I'm going to the galleries. And then once the quarantine hit, because I, I started doing Photo poetry. I call it photo poetry. I would take pictures or newspaper articles and write the poetry on them. I started that in November. I really like those. I started those in November and I went to San Francisco on MLK Day this year and gave a talk at the Apple store. And after the talk the people at Apple took me out to dinner, and it's this guy kind of look like you sitting next to me. And he just keep asking me all these questions, you know, like, you know, who are you? You know, how do you make money? And I'm like, well, I do these pictures things, and I talk. And she was like, you do artwork. He said, I, I would like, you know. He said, do you like basketball? I'm like, yeah. He said, I said, I, you know. He said, you like the Warriors? I'm like, nah. Like, he said, would you like? To, he said, would you like to go to a Warriors game? And I'm like, nah. The Warriors <laughs> suck this year. <laughs> like, he was like, he said, yeah, we do suck this year. But how about if I fly you back out? You bring me your artwork. I support your artwork, and I take you to a game. I said, "Okay, Sweet cool." Girl. I didn't know this guy was the owner of the Golden State Warriors, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, excellent. Yeah, so that was that was my first collector, and um, he flew me back. I stayed in his, his mansion right there on the water by the Golden Gate Bridge, and true to his word, he he he, he bought a lot of my artwork, and um, right after that the pandemic hit so the good thing about that like my wife was like well let's go to the paint store since we're going to be locked down let's go to the art store and get some paint stuff yeah yeah so i was like cool and um but due to that uh infusion of capital that the owner the warriors gave me for my artwork and then i had received a art for justice fund grant so i don't yeah. know if you're familiar with art for justice I'm fund not- Art for Justice Fund was started by, it's a lady, she's a, a, a art collector. Her name is Agnes Gunn, A-G-N-E-S-G-U-N-D, Agnes Gunn. She watched the documentary 13th by Ava DuVernay about the 13th Amendment. Yeah. And after she watched the documentary, she wanted to do something for criminal justice reform through the arts. So she Excellent. looked at her wall. She saw that she had a Roy Lichtenstein painting. She sold the painting for 110 million dollars and donated all of the money to an art for justice fund. And they have to give away all the money within five years, right? Excellent. So she gives these grants, and I was able to get that grant from her as a as an ambassador for represent justice. I was able to get that. So with that infusion, the cap. I say all that to say is that. Most people who come from where I come from and look like what I look like would never get the, would never have the opportunity to meet a owner of an NBA team, yeah, and to have that owner to infuse money into them and then to, to be able to benefit from a grant from a woman who sold one painting for hundred ten million dollars. So, just through that infusion of capital, I was able to get canvases oil sticks, acrylics, experiment and learn. So now I'm about to sign to uh, the Stella Jones Art Gallery in New Orleans. I have a show in London. I have a show in LA. I have a show in... So what I, what I say all this to say is that if if marginalized people can just get investment, yeah, they can create their own wealth.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. They just
0: need investment. You just just need that little
1: that little bit of help, a little kickstart. Just that little kickstart to keep kick going.
0: Start. Put your first foot on the ladder, right, and then you're away. But I can't pull myself up by my own bootstrap if I don't have a boot. No, exactly. exactly. I need a boot with 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 some straps.
1: Yeah, I mean I come from the, the a, a similar situation than you. Um, I mean, just getting into the arts in prison, mm-hmm. um, and I had. Um, my although my backing wasn't financial, mm. um, I just had a lot of help from some amazing artists while mm. I was in jail and they was helping me, sending me information while I was mm. in jail. And these artists, although they was famous at the time and mm. like you, I didn't know didn't know their their names. I'd seen a couple of them in the newspapers uh-huh. and on T V, but because I didn't know art I didn't know how prestigious they were within mm. the art world. And now you know, sort of 20 years later, mm-hmm. they are, you know, top level world famous artists, you know, who can mm-hmm. go into to any gallery. And it was them people who who I had um
0: back in Mason pushing me forward. Brilliant. Right. Yeah. I have I have mentors too. I, I cannot go without saying that. Um great mentor artists. I mean great yeah. artists. I mean, because I had to paint and the I had the finances to get the material, but I didn't know what the hell to do. No, so, so I had to call them, you know, text them, be like, you know, do I wet the brush? Do I wet the paint? Do, <laughs> I do it dry? Yeah. How do I mean? What do I? What do I do? So you pretty much had a crash course in right in in art, right? Just like last night, I did my first gesso. I prime oh, my I prime my first canvas. You know. And how did you find it? Um, I fucked the floor up at first, but my wife my <laughs> wife caught me in time, like, is, is you sure it's not bleeding through the camera? I'm like, no. Nah. Then I lifted up and said, yeah, it's bleeding through. So I had to mop that up, yeah. put the trash bags and newspaper down, then put it back down. So, I, And I was experimenting with black gesso. So I put the first coat on, then blow dried it, then put the second coat on and, and let it stay overnight. So it looked like it's good. I don't think I need to sandpaper it down. I'm going to leave it yeah. funky like that. You know, It's yeah. just experimenting.
1: Doing it on your own is is just like doing it in jail because you've got no one else to tell you whether you're doing it right or wrong. Right. So you have to learn by your own mistakes, mm-hmm. which obviously takes you uh, a lot longer right. to get to where you want to go. But then the, the fact that you're doing it wrong, you're learning a lot more right.
0: along the route, you know? Right. That's how That's I what, like to learn because I don't yeah, believe exactly. in art. Once you had a guy who exhibited a urinal and a shovel and created his philosophy (laughs) called ready-made, right? There is no right or wrong. No. Art is art. So even if the gesso don't dry here or the canvas is not pulled as tight and it got a wrinkle in it, I believe that what I'm putting down on the canvas is so important that... Uh, concern for aesthetics visual aesthetics and and political correctness is null and void Yeah. you know because I'm using the canvas as a tool for revolution and not as just a mere you know uh, beautification of a wall you know when you collect my art and you look at it people who collect my art I believe like if you put it on your wall it reminds you of something Well, it's a representation of you, right? Because your work
1: will evolve, Mm -hmm. just like you as an artist will evolve. Because at the moment Mm -hmm. that you're a new artist, Mm -hmm. and you know you will see the progress of your art and your knowledge and skill base, Mm -hmm. it will travel
0: at the same speed. So, yeah, and it's just like with most things with most artists. Even though they progress, everybody wants eighty-one Basquiat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because it, exactly. because they, they they grow to see us like I was because I was contemplating last night, and I and I, and I'm gonna write it down. I write things down on on uh, little cards, and then I take a picture of them and post. It, but what I was gonna write down is that as an artist, I realize as an artist, I don't have a responsibility to feel anxiety to create new works. Yeah, rather my most important responsibility to those who engage with my art is to get them to see this same piece in a new way. Yeah. Because a lot of times people haven't really seen what's on the canvas. They're so hungry for more that they really need to just go back and look at what's already there. And take in what you've put, because you
1: put a lot of information on your canvases. There's a lot of text on your canvases, right. isn't there? And, and, and symbolism. And it's it's as if you, you're trying to get all of your ideas
0: out on that canvas
1: right. at once. And Just like one thing
0: on one canvas, like on one of my canvas, I have healer, right? Yeah. And if a person see that, like, oh, okay, what's that? healer? Healer is a whole immortal gene that was taken from a a black woman without her consent. They took her genes and used her genes to fly to the moon, to cure cancer, to do this and that. And this woman was a a poor black woman named Henrietta Lacks who died from a misdiagnosis, and they have taken her genes, and the HeLa gene is known as the immortal gene. It's the first immortal gene, and they are to this day creating... Medicines, I mean, billions of dollars worth of development from this one gene, right? So a person needs to really just stop and look at what I'm just saying with that statement, Healer, and go back and research not just the gene, but the woman in the background to a society that will uh, manipulate a woman, really kill her medically to get her genes for commercial profit, and her descendants and her heirs get nothing. Right, so you know, for me, it's just like really seeing the work. Yeah, so for me, it's like it goes back to what I said. I think that people now, even though in their mind at that time, they was caught up on the visual aesthetic and would say, "Okay, boss art is progressing." Yeah, but now they want eighty one. They wanted to, what was what was considered like the crude boss yard at that time. Yeah. yeah. But they can see it anew and see like it was so powerful what he was doing. Yeah. It, yeah. It, Cause it was bigger than the rules. Like one of these paintings I got where I say, you know, beware of art that fits inside the confines of titles, you know. And what he was doing, that what made him so special is that. He he was he was doing he was doing he just was doing him, and I believe people who go to these art schools they train you out of you. So now you're so scared to like paint on the edge of the canvas, and you you know I gotta you know this rule right, and you just you end up being a carbon copy of those who came before you in a world that really craving uniqueness and don't even know it. You're robbing the world of yourself, which is your greatest yeah, asset. Yeah. I mean, there are, <clears throat> excuse me, I mean, what you're saying there, there are set rules when making
1: an artwork right. that, that are just, that you know do work. Right. But it's when you step outside of those or even push them boundaries or even break them. Right. That's when
0: something you either make or break. Right. And, that's know, what made Bruce Lee the, the greatest exactly. martial artist of all exactly. time. Because he understood that, okay, I have a Wing Chun training. But then I'm going to create a style that's no style, a form yeah. that's no form, because even Wing Chung is—it's a, it's a limitation, and that's yeah. how he was able to be so great because he understood that, as I understand, like I don't care about abstract or Expressionist or Impressionist or all I care about is just sharing me, you know, yeah. and I'm not caught up on being an outsider or folk artist. All of these are man-made labels. That I have no regard. Every every rule that somebody, well, when you do this, you got to do that. And I don't have to do anything. A man took a fucking shovel <laughs> and exhibited and exactly. made it ready-made. And they yeah. said that Marcel Duchamp is a genius. Yeah. So once he came with that, the, he kicked open the door for everything. Yeah. The rule book got thrown out the Yeah, window. the rule book got thrown out. I could exhibit my goddamn smartphone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And someone else probably already has. Yeah, the old banana um, on the wall.
1: Exactly. Yes. That was the latest one, wasn't it? Well, I've, I do have seven questions that I ask mm-hmm. each artist. How would you explain what you do to someone that doesn't know your work?
0: All I do is me. And I do me from a place of love. Even though all of my creativity, most of it is like hitting like very uh caustic, very charging subject matter. I'm not doing it from a place of anger or, or bitterness or... Rage, you know, this black rage. Yeah. Um, I'm doing everything from a place of love. So when I do art, I do love. It's a, it's a process of making love for me. It's yeah. very intimate. It's very passionate. Um, it's very thoughtful. And whether it's writing or photography or spoken word or painting, I'm just allowing my self to be used as a conduit of love. Yeah, nice, nice. And when was it? When did you have your first interest in art? Oh, my first interest in art was rap music, you know, um, which was never accepted as a formal um, branch of formal art until it became commercial, right? Yeah. But hip hop is art. It infuses R and B, jazz. Um, it infuses visual art, you know, um, hip hop is so dynamic and so amazing. And I was born in 1980, just around the time that hip hop rap was born. And now hip hop rap is the number one consumed, uh, genre of art in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So for me, my first interest was, is, and probably will always be hip hop rap.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well... Piece that you've created as the strongest emotional connection. Um, it's a piece I I, I created called the the uh the Lenten tree and the cross. On the it's like a the Lynching tree, and then from it's a noose hanging from the Lynching tree with Willie Lynch and Jim Crow written in it. But then on it's a burning cross, was representative of the KKK burning the cross. But on that burnt burning cross, it's a picture of me. Um, from the cover of my autobiography, but the picture was taken of me on the day that I was arrested at sixteen years old. Another one, another one. So that piece right there was like maybe like my second or third painting. Yeah. But it was like the first painting where I put a part of me, literally, on the piece. Yeah. And uh, and I'm into you know I feel like that's my most intimate piece because it just shows how me as a black child was just easily disposable by society. You know, and it's representative of the Tamar Rices and the Trayvon Martins and the Michael Browns and, you know, and the other black boys who have been brutally disposed of ever since African people have come in contact with European colonizers. I mean, we're talking about that subject now, and you've been out of
1: jail just less than eighteen months. Mm-hmm. And what a fucking time to come out of jail after all that time! Right. You have the the Black Lives Matter movement um, reoccurring again, mm-hmm. and and while that is on, oh no, sorry, COVID hit first, right? Totally. And then the, then the BLM um, come past. Other than George Floyd, what a fucking moment to be to be free! It's, it, yeah. it's crazy, isn't it? It's inspiring. How how was you over
0: there with the movement going on? Um, It's inspiring, you know. um, Yeah. As an artist, I couldn't think of a greater time to be alive. Mm. I couldn't even think of a better time to be in a global pandemic where in there you have no Zoom. You have no laptops, no computers, no streaming services, no smartphones, no internet, no social media. You just have your pen and your paper. Maybe you have coloring pencils and... You know, um, so for me to, I was out for one year, then the pandemic hit and I was able to go all over the world and travel and speak and see the, you know, the country. So, and then to come into the lockdown, I was like, okay, I got a chance to see the world and experience the world and get married. And my wife was pregnant and then now I'm going back on lockdown, but I'm so ready for this moment because i can help people to get through yes. this because yeah. a lot of people then they don't know what it's like about being locked down but now they know <laughs> exactly that was exactly what i said yeah i told people i said now be be prepared now these lockdowns could play tricks with you because i through the art world you know you and i we know a lot of high net worth people
1: yeah yeah
0: and you know and i was telling them like you know you're you're privileged you're used to being able to go wherever you want to go whenever you want to buy what you want to buy it's not going to be no more golden state warrior games and you know it's not <laughs> it's no kentucky derbies no us opens no wimbledons like be prepared your mind will yeah. play tricks on you you know That's and I, and i've seen like my 10 year old stepson had a a mental breakdown just from playing a video game too much you know so yeah. it's
1: interesting. See, we've got, in in the uk there's a lot of um a lot of people who say that prison is too soft because mm-hmm. um they just read certain bits in the papers or or see it on the Mm. news. And they say, like, you know, we've got pool tables, TVs and Mm. Xbox. And I always say that it doesn't matter what riches you've got in there, it's your freedom that you've lost. Right. Um, When you lose your liberty and you can't just go down to get some fast food, you can't Mm. just walk down to the park. It does play a lot on your mind. And as soon as the COVID hit and we went into lockdown... That's exactly what I was saying to people. You're going to see now mm-hmm. that having a TV and having access to to your fridge, uh, whenever you want it, doesn't matter. Having your liberty taken away is a real um, a real stress on really? both your body and your mind.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And how did you find the the,
0: the bang up uh, the the lockdown? For me, it was easy. I mean, because <laughs> it's like I got my printer, my scanner, I got. A damn, near 70-inch TV, I got my PS4, <laughs> I, my yeah. canvases. I got my canvases, I got a basement, I'm in my basement now, I got upstairs and another, I got my own room. If you wasn't an artist, mm-hmm. what would you like to be? Um, if I wasn't an artist, I just would like to earn a living doing motivational speaking. Nice. Just traveling the world and, and you know, motivating people to love themselves and others. Are you doing any of that in the UK when you come over on November the 5th? Um, I'm working on setting some of that, setting that up. Because so I'm supposed to do some yeah, I mean, uh, spoken word while I'm there at the bomb Factory. Yeah. Um,
1: have you been in contact with anyone else in the UK? In, yeah. Similar um, to do with the arts? A guy named Dougie Fields. Oh, I, he's a friend of yeah. mine. He, he used to write to me when I was in jail. Yeah, Dougie. And it was Dougie. I, yeah, he's, he's amazing. Mm. I saw... Um, Dougie posted your mm-hmm. um, work mm-hmm. up a couple of weeks ago um, and then I commented on mm-hmm. that and then I think it was the next day or the day after mm-hmm. um, that I was talking to um, Hope mm-hmm. from the Bomb Factory and was talking about you and so us just sort of like made the little
0: triangle and now we're speaking together but Dougie is amazing. Yeah, Dougie, Dougie. like he's, he's like um, he's like the main artist that I know right now in London that I could think about, yeah. you know. So I look forward to uh, building more. Uh, a friend of mine, is another artist named Justice Justin Lee Williams out of Sydney, Australia, but he um, just entered into like a, a a representation thing with Vigo Gallery over there in London. So I've always yeah. wanted to just like to exhibit in London. and So I look forward to getting over there and just, you know, building relationships with different artists, different galleries. And see the tape and just you know, just take it from there. Yeah, well, I've got is a um, a
1: few spoken word mm-hmm. artists that I know. Um, there's a few um, artists who work around hip hop mm-hmm. that I know. I can sort of get you in touch with those, and you can get to see their mm-hmm. work and and get chatting to them that way. It's always good to sort of tie together right. different connections that you've got, yeah. isn't it? When are you here in the UK? Is it on the 5th of November or is that just when you've got the show? I probably
0: get there like about the 3rd.
1: So, on the 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 5th of November, you're at the bomb factory in North Mm -hmm. London. And are you just doing spoken word or are
0: you showing your art? I'm showing, I'm showing, um, I'm doing spoken word. I'm showing some of my photo poetry pieces and some of my paintings as well. And how can people see your work online? Have you got website and Instagram? Right now, my website is under currently under construction because keep in mind I wasn't doing paintings until <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the I started painting during the quarantine. So, but right now people can go to my art page is at Idealionaires. I D E A L L I O N A I R E S our idealers. That's my art page and my pages at Harleen Flowers. Yeah, and if if they have trouble
1: finding ide- ideal right, they can go to your page, and you've got a link right. just on your little profile, right. haven't you? So they can come to yours, which is Halim. Is it Halim A Flowers at Harleen Flowers? At Halim Flowers. Yeah.
0: H A L I M, F L O W E R S. And then you've got a little
1: link on your profile that goes straight to your artwork.
0: Right.
1: Is there anything else you want to say?
0: Um, man, love is a revolution. It is. It is at that.
1: Right, Halim, that's all my questions asked. All right. Thank you very much for your time.
0: All right, see you soon.
1: Oh, man, Halim Flowers, that's some story, right? I was itching to put this out at the time, especially all with what was going on over there. But it was more important for Halim to have this podcast coincide with his exhibition and series of talks, which were meant to start last week. But as I said in the intro, the bomb factory are going to reschedule them for the but as I said in the intro, the bomb factory are going to reschedule them for later on next year. But until then you can follow Halim's art journey over on Instagram. He is at Halimflowers. So go over there, give him a follow, give him a wave and say hi. And speaking of a dark journey, I think that's the ideal time for me to mention once again my dark stars. And the reason they're called dark stars is that not everyone was wise enough to follow the bright star. Like so many others, as a youth, I had the misfortune to follow a dark star, which took me in a rougher journey in life full of wrong and regretful decisions. And as you know, it culminated in a prison sentence where I discovered art, which ultimately changed my life. So although I'm not advocating following a dark star, if it takes following one to see the light, then I think that's a star well worth rejoicing. They are £99 plus £10 postage. The black are all but sold out, but they also come in gold, silver, copper, white and red. And if you want to save yourself £10 postage and happen to be in South East London, then go into the Ben Oakley Gallery. He has some in stock there. And if you're north of the border in Glasgow, you can go into the Subversion Gallery. They also have plenty of dark stars in stock. So that's about it from this week. As I say every week, on whichever platform you're listening to this podcast, you should be able to leave a comment. If you could do that, that really does help us get noticed. And anybody else looking for an art podcast... It shouldn't take too long, just a couple of minutes. Either way, thanks for listening, and until next week, ta